I have the great privilege of talking to and learning from smart and creative and wildly interesting and inspirational people every day. And I want you to have that same experience. And so I decided to start interviewing them. And I want you to come along and listen and learn and enjoy with me. I'm your host, Phil Luce, and this is the Sample Bucket Podcast, where we learn all kinds of different things about people who own, operate, manage, and otherwise work in grain businesses. Make a decision. Your first decision is usually the right decision. If it's wrong, learn from it and go on. My guest on this episode is Marilyn Sullivan. Marilyn and five of her siblings run Kelch and Grain in Edgewood, Iowa, in the northeast part of the state. We met in 2005 when Kelch and Grain became a white commercial customer, and we've talked many, many times since then, and something I always look forward to. I really enjoyed this conversation, as I enjoy all conversations with Marilyn, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Marilyn Sullivan, welcome to this podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Phil. Hey, I think that um, Kelgen Grain is just a little bit older than I am. I was born in 1975. Do I have that right? You have that exactly right. 1974. Why did Lloyd Kelch and Grain become a grain business in 1974? Um, 19, I don't know. I'm guessing about 1964. Dad was working for somebody. He had his own feed business. And quite honestly, um, he was tired of the accounts receivable back in 1974. They owed money and everything. And this, this little area here was a pretty much you raise it, you feed it kind of area. And it got to where people here were, of course, growing more corn per bushel and couldn't feed that much corn. So I think he kind of visioned a need for a grain dealer. Now, granted, there was a feed business, a regular co-op in town. They had since moved out of town and grew some. And there was a feed business in town that was way older and established way before dad was even around this area. But they weren't so big into the grain business, I feel. And you got you got to remember, I mean, I'm not telling you how old I am, but I was only 13 then. And um, <laughs> <laughs> then um, I think he just felt the need. And boy, was he had a vision was really right. 19. So then he started where he was owing the farmer's money. And he kind of liked that, I think. Didn't have to do no more collecting accounts receivables, but 1977, he incorporated it and he started a really great foundation as far as customer base, really super foundation. And now we like to consider it, especially the past 30 to 60 days, we consider it child abuse. (laughs) You, You guys being the children. Us being the children, dad has since <laughs> left us, and um, yeah, now nah, that's what we, that's what we like to say that time of this time of the year. This is strictly child abuse. Now, I, I anyway. think that uh, I, I've somehow got the impression that you guys are a farming family. Is that true as well? Ah, uh, yeah, dad was a farmer mm-hmm. uh, way before he started the grain business, and he kept that completely separate. Uh, the the grain business owns no land. Um, he owned, I don't know how many acres, not huge, not big or nothing. And since, honestly, before we started basis trading, it's no secret, um, we were a back-to-back business, grain business, absolutely starving. We couldn't, we were just starving. I don't know. He paid for two or three farms. He sold those farms and put that money into the grain business. 
and just um, that's just that's just how it went. That's just what he spent for building a business, not knowing how the bases worked. But we've changed that. Come a long way since that. Is is farming still part of the family work? Yep. Um, the boys, so I have two brothers, and um, they still own their part of the farms. And I have a little bit that we bought on our own, as a, my husband and I did, and my son Jason does that now. He He kind of takes care of that farming part of it. So yeah, we still do that. Um, that's their real love for the, is the farming stuff. And quite honestly, it kind of helps complements the grain business some. They bring all their grain here. We know how the other farmers feel. It kind of it really does help. Yeah, I had a question about that. Being a farm, lots of people in the grain business also farm or are married to a farm or their parents farm or the cousins farm. That's a pretty common thing. But do, do you yeah. think that uh, being so close to farming yourself as owners of the business uh, not only helps, I guess, with moods and and just the general sympathizing with, with what local growers are going through, but does it, do you think it makes you better or worse at buying grain or does it have nothing to do with it? Oh yeah. It's got a lot to do with it. It makes me personally more um, sympathetic. It makes me, Hey, I've been in their shoes. I know what's happening. Um, that's what it does to me because I have been there. I do know what they feel. I do know you have to take your hat off, you know, and put the grain dealer hat on. That's just has to be done, but you understand. I mean, it's going to rain. They want the stuff out. If it was my corn in the field, I'd want it out. We stay open later. It's just, just that aspect of things I feel is, is really important. What about you've had me and and uh, Scott Hansen and Tracy Henkel and and maybe some others uh, up there to talk about trying to market based on price, mathematics and profit and so on. Uh, as a farmer yourself or as the wife and mom of a farmer, uh, how do you feel when you sell a good price and it goes higher? <laughs> Just like every farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Farmers are really, really attached to their crop. Mm -hmm. They are good at what they do, raising crops. That's what they do. Marketing, they hate. I bet you there's not, I bet I don't have one single farmer that says, marketing's my thing and I'd rather do that than plant or harvest corn. I bet I don't have one farmer that can honestly say that. Uh, yeah, I would assume. I would assume not. I haven't met any so far. There may be some, but I haven't met any so far. Right. So you were uh, again. We're not mentioning age, but you were 13 when the grain business started mm -hmm. in whatever year it started in. And so 1974. <laughs> well, see, I was trying not to do math on this, but you're forcing me to. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, as a 13 year old. And and I'm, I'm sorry for asking this, but I, I think you're the oldest of seven. Is that right? Yes, you're right. Yep. Okay, so you you're the oldest of seven at 13, and and all your siblings were you know whatever ages down to down to toddler maybe at that point. And uh, what what was your guys's connection? Yours specifically, or your families in general? Your dad started this grain business. Were you involved sweeping up and answering phones right from the get go, or is it something that came around later? Honestly, um. When I was a 
junior in high school, I started doing the payroll, but a couple years before that, dad thought it was very important. And I still, you'll find this ironic too, because I think this is a little bit of your job. Um, He had, I got bids every day. What I was, what I can remember. So, you know, that's, that's gives it a lot, but I remember every day coming off the school bus and within five to 10 minutes, the phone would ring and it would be, it was Pillsbury and Dubuque that time. And I would get them markets and I would take them markets down every single day, just like dad told me in a book. To this day, we still have those books in the basement. Um, all them years, every day, the markets are, are there. So yeah, uh, I'm a freshman in high school and I'm taking down green bids. I mean, that's just not normal, but I did it. I didn't know. I was just doing it because he told me to. My first job was to take a red ink pen after every year and highlight on a general ledger, boom, boom, close out that year. You're ready for the new year. And I didn't think it amounted to anything, but I guess apparently in the day, that was a very important thing to be doing. And that's, that's what I did. And I just, I don't know. I just kept, just kept doing it. But mom did the book work for dad, which is kind of ironic too, because um, dad would figure a ticket and take the pounds times the price and divide that by 56. Man, I couldn't get get onto that. I had to reduce them numbers somehow. The numbers were three inches long, and <laughs> so we'd do it by hand. Yeah, well, I can run a calculator pretty good right now. <laughs> when I got to know you, you were uh, you were running a, a more—I uh, don't know if "complicated" is the right word, but I think of maybe a bigger grain business. Certainly, uh, not even maybe. Certainly, a bigger grain business than than was happening in the late seventies and early eighties, just by bushel volume and still really keeping track of everything by hand at that point. Yeah, we were, we did not get a computer system in here until I believe 2010. So yeah, we did a lot of, every ticket was written by hand. Everything was written by hand. By computer system, you mean grain software, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. We got a software program in 2010 yeah. i think i feel like i remember for at least a couple of years you were still doing it all by hand neck right next door to the software just to make sure it was right is that true or am i making that up that's true and um we still do that today okay <laughs> you've got to double do you can't, that today can't trust those robots you got to double check, double check that stuff. we have to make sure this software program <laughs> we have to make sure this is right <laughs> I have um, four sisters that work in here, so they kind of take care of that, making sure the matching up happens and making sure everybody's accounts balances every single day. And it's 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 every day. I mean, we don't skip a day. Everything works out. It's, it, it, it just they just work at it until it works out every day. Now, four sisters. You're one of the four, though, right? Oh, correct. I, yeah. yeah. Okay, Four I just want to sure I'm doing yep. the math right. There, there are. Yep. Uh, you're one of seven siblings. Yep. And uh, this this doesn't really matter, but something that I think we, well, I, I'm one generation removed from it. But my dad is one of eight. My mom's one of six. And you're one of seven. So I've, there's something there that connects us. I'm not quite sure how, <laughs> but anyway, yep. something I've thought about. So there, what's very different between your family and my mom's family and my dad's family, which are similar size, is uh, six of you work together full-time in this grain business. 
Full time, every day, seven days a week. The last two months, <laughs> crazy. Seven. And and has, how long has that been going on? Did, did all of you just go to work in the grain business right away? Did some of you go off and do something else for a while, or how, how did that? How's that been? Honest to God, um, honest to God, everybody stayed. Mm-hmm. Everybody stayed here, but but one. Um, she has a she she got married to a guy that owns a repair shop or started a repair shop. And she has her hands full at that repair shop, running a running a really good business down there. So she does not help here. And then one of the younger ones, well, if you can imagine, I don't want to sound like a sob story here, but if you can imagine back to back trying to, um, Brad will tell you that he accused us of making a zero for a profit when you back to back. I think it's zero. You try to make zero anyway. You try not to make less than zero. And so she got a job working at a local place for, I don't know for sure, six months. And I told dad one morning, you know, she not her favorite thing to do. We need help bad. Why do we pay somebody more than she's getting there? Why don't we have her come back? You really think we can do it? Yes, we do. And she came back and she's a great help here. And I I hope she likes it because she's been here for a long time. But yeah, so one (laughs) ventured off and came back, which is, that was awakening up for everybody because we were not, well, if you can imagine, not making any money and he's still trying to pay six kids here to do that. It was, it was a struggle, but we made it, we've changed that a lot now. So it's a lot, a lot better. How, um, I've got one sister and we get along great, but, uh, we also haven't lived in the same house in, I don't know, 30 years or something. And, and, uh, and <laughs> that's she, great, right? Yeah, it is great. And we've never worked together. <laughs> I think we get along fine. I, I think we get along as, as good as any two siblings do. Uh, I don't know if it would be like that if, if we work together every day, sometimes many hours a day for 20 years. So, I, how do you guys make that work? Well, the answer to that is. Number one, we don't know any better. We've always done this. We have not worked like anywhere else to see what other coworkers. It's kind of hard when the kids are in school and you're supposed to go sell this stuff to the coworkers. Yeah. And your family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't ask them to buy swipes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the hard part. Um, we, um, I also sell um, uh, crop insurance. So we have to take an, an ethics test and you have to have somebody like a coworker in your office, be your monitor. That's really tough too, because there's no one here that's not related. You have to take a truck driver off the road and say, I need your information. And can you stand by me till I get my ethics test done? But we get it done. We get it done. But that some little things like that are, are tough, but I don't know. It's, it's got, it's got way more pluses than negatives because I'm telling you, if one person has a problem, they make it every, we make it everybody's problem and we get out of it, you know? Yeah. It's an incredible thing. I, I love uh, when I call and ask you a question. Uh, sometimes <laughs> a lot of times it's about a basis position or, you know, average ownership or a spread, so something, some past decision that you've made. And I'll ask you the question and you'll just shout out into the office. <laughs> Same question. Hey, what, what do we own this corn at? Or how much corn did we handle last October? And <laughs> Man, the answer just hey, the answer just comes. Last, what did we make our last basis trade at? And then they throw me this book, and I know where to look. And yeah, that's happened. They just read my mind. I so I have I have this time 
this year I've told them, don't do what I say. Make sure you do what I'm thinking. And they seem to do that really good. <laughs> I think you did tell me the other day that you, and maybe your dad started this, but correct me if I'm wrong. You you obviously work together every day. You get along really well. You, you help each other out, strengths and weaknesses and all that, but you don't have Thanksgiving together. Is that right? Nope. Nope. Dad started that tradition. Um, Thanksgiving is to go be with your own families. We siblings have been here, um, like I said, a lot of hours per day, seven days per week, getting harvest wrapped up. Thanksgiving is don't come in the office, don't see each other. But you know what? We still got um, we still got our what do they call that? Snapchat that we still yeah figure out who's at whose place for dinner and what you cooked and what's this and what temperature do you put this on and <laughs> we have us us girls in the office have our own Snapchat that we're on it and it was meant to be strictly business okay if I leave or something this truck's got to go here they all know it and they can take care of it if they have to tell me something we all know it it's everybody it's like being here when you're not here Mm -hmm. and um yeah we've turned sometimes we turn that on a on a weekend or on our time off into look what I'm doing or something fun like that or yeah we do that too but that's all in fun you gotta have some fun absolutely you gotta have lots of fun yep what, so you, let's see, you're in, I think, three businesses. You sort of, you're definitely in the grain business. That's that's pretty clear. Uh, I think you're also yep. in the trucking business. And I don't know if you count crop insurance as a business of its own or not, but do, do you do other things besides those three? Man, just that part of that farming thing. Yeah. That's a separate thing though, right? Kelch and grain. That's look, totally Yeah. Kelch and grain is just Kelch and grain. Even the insurance isn't Kelch and grain. That's a okay. separate thing. Um, it just doesn't run through Kelch and grain. They don't need all the licensing and that kind of stuff. We just take care of it. Now, granted, everybody helps with the insurance, doing the papers, filing, doing the reports and stuff like that. And um, so that all helps, but that has nothing to do with Kelch and grain, sort of speak. Mm-hmm. But you do, you are definitely in the trucking business. We used to be, yeah. But we truck grain. I don't know if we're in the trucking business, but we have okay. trucks out of the necessary evil. I feel the trucks don't make any money. I feel they're just a necessary evil. You just got to have them. It almost feels like the farmer can't pay anymore for trucks and you aren't getting enough for trucks. And it's just got to be, they definitely get subsidized from the bases, which never was even remotely thought of before we signed up with white commercial. Just, we had to make we had to make it on the trucking and it just everything's too expensive i mean back in the day they were paying two dollars an hour no overtime they were paying 50 cents for diesel fuel a tire was a hundred dollars and none of that's like that no more diesel's five and a driver's 25 dollars an hour and a tire's 400 dollars. and it's like what i don't know where this comes from and we're still getting essentially not much the rates went up a little bit but not near that much how many trucks do you have? Well, the other day, we have owner operators too that are very important and we treat them guys. I I say we treat them like family, but darn it, we don't treat family around here very good. So we treat them better than family. <laughs> <laughs> That's our thing. Yep, yeah, everybody's family here, so we don't treat each other very good. But anyway, I had 13 or 14 of them running. Oh, I know. We had to take some um, beans to the barge in Clayton. And I had asked him, 
I sold them for November, and of course, the bean harvest went fast, and they were all done before November got here by about two weeks. And I said, if there's any way you can take some November beans for me, I'd clean out this bin and put corn back in it. And he'd keep that in mind, and he'd hang up the phone and say, yeah, you forgot my name, you know. But by golly, one Tuesday morning at 7.30 in the morning, he called and said, you want to haul some beans? And I said, sure. And he goes, I said, how many, he said, how many can you get? And I said, well, it depends. What's the line going to be like? And he said, I'll, you'd be the only one I'd ask. And I said, I don't know. I can get you 25 loads. And he goes, make it 30 and we'll do it. Sure. We'll do that. Hang up the phone and go, how are we going to get 30 loads of beans, Clayton? I mean, this is an hour and a half round trip. We got trucks from everywhere. Goal and accomplishment. We got 31 loads that day. And I kind of forgot about the fact that he said nobody else would be there until um, Joanne, one of the sisters, said, um, hey, that buyer told you the truth. What do you mean? Our ticket numbers are consecutive from the first one to the 31st one. No one else dumped a load of beans there. That's pretty ironic. That doesn't happen very often, but it helped us clean out that bean bin, and it's got corn. In fact, I think it's probably full today of corn. That helped a lot. Why do you think that that buyer shut down every other delivery of beans and just let you bring 31 loads in there consecutively? First and foremost, it's probably relationship, but logistically he doesn't want to open November contracts and have a whole gob of trucks there because he only has room for this 31 loads, you know? So if he can call one person and have that done, his job's done. I mean, and and he told me probably, then they closed at three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, he told me about two o'clock, don't worry about it. What you get, you get, I'll tally it up at three 30 and you can bring whatever you're short in, in the morning. Well, I said, that'd be fine. But secretly I knew there was 30 loads. I don't know where that 31st one came from, but it got in there by a farmer, a direct ship farmer. I think I'd called everybody I knew too. And um, so it got in there by him. So when he called me, he said, you're done. The barge is full and we're pulling out tonight. And he said he appreciated it. I said, okay. And we finished the contract in November. But a couple of things that did for me, it got a short half a million dollars. We weren't sure when the river was going to shut down because of the low water and not being able to get barges. And if you got that there and the money's coming to you, that's good. And, and the bean bin cleaned out going to a corn bin was you know, number one priority and put the money in the bank. And it was just a good, good win-win situation. But yeah, I feel pretty fortunate on that. Yeah. Well, that, okay. This wasn't uh, on my list, but I, I can hardly ever talk to you without talking about this. Uh, I want to talk to you about nothing. <laughs> can we talk about <laughs> you love nothing? that story? Can we talk about nothing a little bit. I think, yeah, I think, I, I think that, um, that you've done some extraordinary things. And I don't mean to say that no one else has ever done these. I think these are things that happen when people build relationships and provide service. That's what I think. So for a bean buyer to say, if you'll do this, I'll make sure you're the only trucks in here today. We'll, and we'll get this done together. Something had to happen prior to that conversation for him to think of you and believe that you would do that if you said you would. And the same thing happens, I think. Uh, you do some things that are really uncommon in my experience. One example is that you have 
I think you do it commonly, you certainly have done it in the past more than once, is charge DP fees for grain that farmers deliver out of their own bins. And that's unusual. And uh, you also have a, a huge number of relationships with people who own semis and have storage and you're not that far from the river, you're not that far from several different processors, uh, but you are involved in those transactions in a big way. So it, the fear in the grain business is that farmers will build space and buy trucks and make you irrelevant. But it seems like you've become increasingly relevant despite all of that that I just said. So uh, when I ask you <laughs> when I ask you about stuff like that, what do you do to make this happen? You tell me nothing. I know because <laughs> I think I think what we do to me what we do is nothing. But to someone looking in, yeah, it's the uh, uh, it's the ton of little things that you that you do. First of all, that buyer really really trusts me. He knows what we're capable of. He knows that we can get trucks there. He knows that he can call me. And I don't want to tell all my secrets, but I do need to share this. He can call me and say. Um, don't send no more trucks. I can't use any more trucks. So this is really going to lose my trust situation. But um, so I don't send any more kelch and grain trucks. Do you remember earlier when I said I had owner operators? Yeah. Well, I would send them. <laughs> that's not very fair, but <laughs> <that's> just, <laughs> I only did it because I had to do it. Or they were loaded or something like that, you know, but, yeah. um, for the, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose my trust with them, but yeah, for the most part, Absolutely. If they ask you to shut something off, they know that I can't shut it off to zero, but they do know that I can control them, Kelch and Green Trucks, and for the most part, a lot of the other ones. But if one sneaks in there, they're not going to get mad at me because I tried, you know. But um, when I say it's nothing, I think that's just doing what you're told and that's what you do. But I know that sure put you on a spot when I said, we don't do anything. And it's like, you got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's, I think, obviously, um, you you helped me understand and really grabbed onto the concept that grain buyers are your customer. Even if, even if it's a little bit of a revolving door with the large company sometimes, even if it feels maybe like the loyalty is more from you toward them than vice versa, not always, but sometimes, uh, you've, you really treat those buyers as if, as if they are a customer of yours, which they are. And, and I never to, knew that, um, years ago. Yeah. Years ago, it was always me and the farmer on the same side against the buyer because I had to have everything I could get mm -hmm. to make zero. And now I realize that, you know, if you give the buyer something and you, well, I've been girl, I've been brought up to know that the the farmers are a customer. That's a given. That's just how it is. But I never dreamt that the buyer was a customer. And when you know their needs and they learn what you can do, they're your customer. And, um, there's not in a mean way, but there's less of them. Does that make sense? You, mm -hmm. you well, I have a whole bunch of farmer customers and, you know, we have outlets for grain buyers. It's growing now, but five, six of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And I have a tendency, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I have a tendency to get really, really close to them buyers. And I remember having one call me two weeks before he was going to um, even turn in his two-week notice. And he wanted to tell me first. And, oh, that was so hard to come to the office. 
and not tell my sisters that this guy is leaving and now I have to start this relationship over again. And I'll never forget that I was at home and the buyer said, well, Marilyn, we're not getting a divorce. And I'm going, <laughs> I kind of are. And here I am, tears are flowing because this guy is leaving me. He's a buyer that I, and it's, I'm, I'm callous because now it does happen. But you do feel like, oh man, all down the drain, this guy's got to go on, you know, but it's, I guess it's a good way. It's a good thing. You just got to learn how to deal with the next one. The same thing happens with farmers. You, like I said before, you have uh, a large and growing direct ship business, including the one I always think about is you, you've got a customer that sells direct ship grain through you that isn't even anywhere near you. Right? He's, he's uh, I think, on the far side of a buyer that's, I don't know, 60 miles away or something. Yep. And, and what what's the nothing that, that makes a farmer like that sell grain to you that he's going to put in a truck and send seven miles or something to a buyer? Why, why does he want you involved in that transaction? I think it's because you can call Marilyn or any of the girls at the office and I can tell him what their hours are. I can tell him um, what I feel the, base, the bases are going to be doing, what the market's going to be doing. I can tell him that he First of all, the ADMs and the processors, they don't, and maybe I'm talking out of turn, but I don't think they want to have a call every other day from a farmer. What's my balance? You know what I mean? Um, he wants to have somebody he can trust. Um, this is kind of weird, but it's true. Uh, a terminal pays you every day, whether they ACH you or give you a check. There's farmers out here, and I would be one of them that doesn't want to check every single day for two loads of corn. He wants the contract filled and he wants you to pick up the check and go do something with it. He doesn't want the con the check mailed every day. He doesn't really want to do the book work. And I think we're valuable like that. Um, just to keep more attractive, his bookkeeping at the end of the year, he can call me and say, Hey, what did I sell this year? And, and that's available. I don't think you would get that from a not big box store, but big processor. You know what I mean? I'm sure they'll do it, but I don't, it's more comfortable asking me than it is to ask them. Yeah. Almost like uh, buyers and end users aren't, I mean, farmers and end users rather aren't uh, perfectly set up to meet each other's needs. So there needs to be a service business in the middle that you can bet. help them and, both. Yep. And I can, I totally get the farmer away. I always have got the farmer's way. And now that I learned this buyer thing, um, I get that too. And I can be the one in the middle to, hook them two up and the most the, the my most favorite thing to do is to sell corn or beans it's been beans the last few years in Dubuque and have a bait have a have a position there the farmers around the Dubuque area want to go there yet the market is in Cedar Rapids so you buy their you know my beans are supposed to go to Dubuque. They take theirs to Dubuque. I take mine to Cedar Rapids. You flip flop prices, and everybody wins. And it's just it's just a in Dubuque. People do not want to go to Cedar Rapids. I don't care where I go, and and whatever whatever works works. And that's to help everybody out. That's the most favorite part of sitting here. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, roughly. What percentage of your annual handle never sees your parking lot? How much of it just goes direct from a farm, either on your truck or the farmer truck? How much of it goes direct from a farm bin to the river or a processor? A lot. 
Is it um, more than half? Is handle, it 80%? What is it? I bet it's, I bet it's 75, 80%. We handle about 15 million bushels of products, corn and beans, a year. We've got 2 million, 2.3 million bushels storage. And we don't turn that storage, we don't turn all of it. So the, so between 2.3 and 15, that's pretty much a lot of that, just a lot of that is direct ship. I bet it's 75, 80%. A common argument, I don't know common argument, that argument is maybe not the right word, but a, a common statement you hear about direct ship is can't make money doing it. Uh, it's it, once the farmer has a bin and a truck, farmer doesn't need me anymore, or I just can't find a way to put a margin in it. So uh, what do you think about that? I, well, and, and also let's stop, step back from margins for a minute. Direct ship is a pain. And I've got, there's a big communication problem with direct ship. I've got farmers delivering places for me. I've got my own trucks delivering places. I've got scale tickets just coming back willy nilly. Uh, I don't know who's where and who's done what. So just tell me briefly about the process of training all the people that are involved in a direct ship transaction, which I imagine would be some combination of the, the buyer and the farmer or trucker and yourself, people in your office. What, what do you have to do to make that? not so time consuming and confusing. Well, I'm pretty much the direct ship Nazi. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> like, oh, uh, it, it's a, it's a lot of training, a lot of training. First of all, the buyer doesn't have to do anything. He takes your corn, he puts it on a contract. The buyer's job is done. Mm -hmm. um, the truck, the trucker's job is very important, whether he's the farmer, whether he's my trucker or whether he's an owner operator trucker. Those tickets must need to be turned in with the correct farmer names on them. Um, I've got a, I always say 10 cent tablet, but with inflation, I got a 25 cent tablet that I write down every single driver and where he's going. When the tickets come back in, they're highlighted to make sure that I have the tickets and they're in the book and they're in the right spot. Um, we do do some calling. We, if we get paid, I tell the farmers how important it is that you get this ticket turned in because if ADM or whatever our end user is, what doesn't matter who the end user is, if they have a computer glitch and you don't think this can happen, but it can, and that ticket don't get in our system and you don't tell me that, that ticket's gone forever. They get to keep it. That I will never, ever know that. Now, if the ticket turns, that farmer turns the ticket in and, and the producer or the processor doesn't give me the ticket, I call in and say, where's this ticket? That's happened before, Phil. And it was a truck from the truck that was our guy. We had the loadout ticket. I was holding the ticket in my hand, and that ticket was never in the system at the at the processing place. They fixed it and took everything right, but I had to give them a copy of that. Had that truck driver not turned it in, that ticket would be in limbo. You'd never, you'd just give it away. And you can't do that. That's, you know, six $7,000. You just can't do that. So um, that So we're pretty... That that happening is very slim, but boy, if we get somebody paid, um, if a processor pays us for a load of corn that the ticket's not turned in, I start calling people and you can't let this happen. You've got to turn in the tickets. And I'll never forget, Phil asked me this one other time and I said, yeah, I'm the kind of the mean one out here. <laughs> but I have to be, I have to be the mean one to make sure the tickets are called in. Well, it just comes down to discipline, real discipline, and and some kind of a a system, some kind of a process to make sure it all yep. it's done and yep. track yep. the track the progress of the process. 
and it's important for it's important for Kelton Grain. I got to make sure contracts aren't overfilled. You know, I got to make sure that they're they're you know everything's on the go. Like now, for example, if you spotted a load of corn at ADM, I don't know for real sure, but I think it's like a thirty cent beaten if you spot a load compared to a weight a week. You know, so I got to make sure that there's corn going where the people are taking corn to. It's not it's doable, but it's not easy. But if someone says they don't want to do direct shifts because there's nothing in it that kind of makes the hair stand up on my neck because it's like, oh boy, we do 80% of that. I would cry if that was gone. And yeah, make decent money. Which brings me to another question, which is, um, I think that at least for a while, you thought that your bid, direct ship bid had to match or beat the destination. So if, if this if this load of beans is going to Cedar Rapids, my bid for direct ship beans has to be equal to or maybe slightly better than the Cedar Rapids bid. Do you still feel like that, or have you not at managed? all? Okay. So, um, how, how can I you did. pay less? Felt, how, how can you pay less than the destination and and feel good about it and get business? Um. Well, first of all, you've got to know that the grain business can humble you, so you can't get too you can't get too carried away but your chain your um chain of thought has to be i'm worth something and white commercial has helped us grow in that way we we really we really are worth something but yeah we used to pay more than what they were paying and we don't have to do that no more um and there's still people that will ask me, why do you think you can buy corn for the same price as the terminal? Because, because I can. And that the key to that is the selling part. You got to be a you got to be a good seller. You got to be a good basis seller. To um, my thing is buying comes. I mean, you pick up the phone and you buy grain. That's how you that's that's how you buy grain. You don't you don't pick up the phone and call somebody to buy grain. You pick up the phone when it rings and buy grain. But when you're selling grain, you got to pick up the phone. You got to dial the number, and you got to tell them what you need. So you're making sales that are better than the posted bid. Absolutely. Uh, but but then also, I hope anyway. I've I've tried to encourage you to post a bid that's a little less than the buyer's bid and be worth it on some other reason, which is easy easy thing for me to say. And great, maybe not. Yeah, a that's easy a fine line. Yep. You don't want to you don't want to lose it you don't want to lose it take advantage of them but yeah and i i mean i've got people out here that'll say um you know i need you to just tell me what you're going to do and and i don't know that makes it easier i guess how about uh again i think you still do this i know you've done it in the past is you've had farmers who had corn in their bins that they wanted to move but didn't want to sell and of course you don't take corn out of farm bins and put it in your bins very often so you've taken you've or you've allowed the farmer i should say to deliver on one of your contracts put the grain on a dp contract and charge the farmer a dp fee for corn or soybeans that are in that were in his own bin so how uh First time you called someone and suggested that, (laughs) what was on your mind and and how are you comfortable yet having that conversation? And if so, how did you get there? Yes, I am because I get, I get it. Now we have been doing it for a long time. 
like you said, for zero. And mm-hmm. one year, I don't know when it was, Bill, I don't know if you would remember, it didn't work that way because there was such a carry in the market and the bases were a carry. And um, the the supply of grain in the area was huge and the the buyers didn't need that. So if you took the farmer's grain in and sold it that day, when they sold it, the bases were improved by 10 cents. And I remember the first thing having a conversation with, I'm sure it was you, we were going from zero and you said, it's got to be 20 cents. Boom, it's 20 cents. Making them first five phone calls was absolutely horrible. I had to explain why it's got to be 20 cents. I had to explain what the deal is, or you're going to have to keep the corn in your bin. And once you get that, I don't know, once you get that established to where that's got to be done, I didn't understand it at first. Now that I do, it's easier to explain. If if there's going to be a big, big basis improvement, you cannot take their corn for you can't take the corn for nothing. And if they don't want to pay that, then they have to keep it until it's that time. And it's, it's, it's that simple. So you're not scared anymore? Are you scared? No, I'm really not because, because it has to be, it, it, yeah. it has to be. Um, if it gets too expensive, like if it gets more than if you could just store it in an elevator or mm. commercial storage, that makes me a little bit nervous, but then I try to stay away from that and maybe say I'll do it on a basis contract or try to do something like that. But you can't give away, you can't take the chance of them moving that and then you're having to eat up the bases, you know. That's true. Service has a value. And yeah. And once you learn that, you know, you know that it's not, you know that it won't work. Yeah. In fact, it scares me when I hear of another elevator doing it. And it, and it don't work. It's like, oh, this is not going to work. I don't like this idea. I don't like to hear this. But, um, yeah, there's times, I mean, in the summertime, the summertime when the processors need and want corn, and you know you're not going to buy it for 30 days, you can do it for zero because you're going to capture the increase in the, in the, in the spaces. But if it's this time of the year, there's no way. You, you can't do it can't be done. I remember you telling me, uh, you know, in your back-to-back days, you had to make your sales a truckload at a time. If you bought grain, you had to turn around and hurry up and find some place to sell it. And you thought probably that whoever you were talking to at the end user did not spell your name, had no idea who you were. And (laughs) never forget that. I'll not, I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget the, the first time, the first of now several times that you called me and said, hey, one of my end user customers called me and asked me what the basis is going to be this summer because he thinks I know better than he does. Yeah, that's coming. That's a hundred maybe degree circle. I'll tell you, that's, 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 that's amazing. Yeah, I used to have to spell Kelchin. I mean, we were selling 900 bushels at a time. Yeah, we would. Of course, we were only handling a million bushels of corn, though, too. But, um, yeah, that's just ridiculous how that's changed. And now, like from going from how do you spell Kelton and is that an Edgewater? No, that would be Edgewood. And having to tell them everything and what's your name? Now you call them up and hey, Marilyn. I mean, never 
to sell them a hundred thousand bushels of corn and don't even say the word Kelchin. Don't even say Kelchin grain. They just, Hey Marilyn, here's your number. It's just, I don't know. It's taken a long way to get there, but it's happened. Just happened. Yeah. And, and, uh, not to belabor the point here, but for, for a good sized grain buyer to call you and say, I need your opinion on what summertime corn basis will be because I've got all this corn I need to buy. And you're the person who knows what summertime corn basis is worth. That's an incredible, uh, well, it just goes to show that that buyer knows what I know, which is that, you know, what grain values are. What, what an incredible yeah, thing. Know, white commercials helped me with that so much. I remember the first time it happened, Phil, I'm going, I don't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know what to do? Oh, Phil, you got to help me on this. I don't know what's going on. Well, you must know. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously you do. Oh, oh my gosh. It's like, oh gosh. And then pretty quick, it was like, um, wait a second. Why am I doing his job? Why isn't he telling me this? And then uh, it's like, okay, this is kind of. There's some value here. We got this. This is okay. We learned we learned but, something there, didn't we? I think we learned this together that that just exactly. because just because someone works for a large company, and this is not anti-large companies in any way. It just is nope. that whoever studies the basis the most gets to know the most about it. And the reason that that gentleman called you that day and has called you since then more than once to ask that question is because he saw you negotiate sales with his business at mar- at prices uh, basis numbers i should say that seemed too high at the time and then by golly that's where the basis went well after that happens a few t- times clearly you know something that maybe other people don't know and now see that's you know. how you look at that my perspective is okay i tell them it's going to be this and then boom they move to that <laughs> That's how I feel yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because you told them, you told them what it has to be. What, what is? And I guess I haven't come across that for a couple years now, but I remember being so frustrated. If I tell them it's worth option right now, and they're bidding ten under, then they buy this for option from me, and now they're paying option, and that proved nothing to me because I haven't had yeah. enough time because they did this at one o'clock and they changed the basis at three o'clock. I haven't had enough time to fill this contract. And I think you told me to then put something in it. And I said, hey, this is what it is, but I want more because this is what you're going to do to me. And I haven't had that happen for a while now. I didn't think of it until right now. Yeah. But that's true. Yeah, you've you've had a couple of amazing things happen like that. I remember you telling me the story about a buyer made a contract with you and then called you back that day or the next day and raised the basis on the contract because he was raising his bid. And, yep. and you earn the right. That doesn't happen to everyone. That happens to people who, who would earn, who have earned the right to have that happen to them. What, what, what have you learned? Go ahead. I don't want to portray myself as a bad person, but oh man, I would. It would have been a long time forgiving him if he told me the basis <laughs> ten under, and he went to five under within the next half hour. And I think, honest to God. I think that buyer had to think that a little bit too, but he, he, you can't, you know, you can't step on somebody's toes. that's feeding you, you know? And I think he, I think he did that. You're right. A contract's a contract, but that's happened to me three or four times that he called back and said, Hey, this is what it's going to be because I just, you know, I just can't do that to you. Okay. Appreciate it. So what have you, wow. what do you think you've learned from all of that from becoming someone where you had to spell 
the, your own last name and uh, and then remind people what the name of the town was to, to this kind of relationship. What's that taught you? I don't know. I don't know. It's all it's a whole different world basis trading than it is back to back and I'll tell you what it's taught me. <laughs> I didn't want to say the, nothing, Phil, because we've done that before. One of my one of my favorite things about you is that you're you're uh you're so hesitant to say anything that sounds like um that you might be bragging even a little bit that that you'll just leave me hanging. <laughs> But, no, I don't like to do that. But but what I know, but but what I've learned is uh, this is something I thought I knew, and and you and and other people in the business have helped me understand that that in many ways the size of the business or the stature, or the the status of a company or uh, the name on the door, all that kind of stuff doesn't matter. But I think that at least in times past, there's been a. Uh, just a generally held understanding that some companies know more about things than other companies and maybe for good reason you know if you're a large multinational corporation you probably got a budget for a research team and you know all kinds of stuff like that so you should know more and again this is not a knock on anyone but what it taught me again you and other people in this business that have become leaders in the market have taught me that at least in terms of basis trading grain values, that kind of thing, and service. If you spend the most time studying something and making it a priority, you end up knowing more about it than anybody else. And it has nothing to do with what your marketing budget is or what your how big of a research team you have or anything else. I think that's 100% true. I, I think you got, I think number one, foremost, you got to have a, you got to have a love for it. If you, um, didn't go in at head and foot. I feel really bad for the people. So we're just a grain elevator. We're no agronomy. We don't sell seed. We don't, um, we sell crop insurance on the side, but that's just a, you know, that's just minimal. Um, I am thinking of basis trading all the time. If you are running a female, you got to think of that and you got to kind of do it backwards because you got to, you can't get rid of all your stuff at a good basis because you might need to pay at a good basis. If you're out driving a truck, um, if you're out loading corn, if you're combining corn, all that stuff I don't do. It's just basis trading for me. And it's, yeah, if when the, I mean, that goes for softball. Every time we talk, Phil, I have to bring softball up. That goes for sports and everything. You put the time into it. It's, it's, it rewards you back. It, it just does. Yeah. You taught me that. All right. I'm going to ask you uh, some, some rapid fire questions kind of to finish mm -hmm. this thing off. Are you ready? I'm they're ready. not, they're not hard. <laughs> you, you might've already answered this one. You said you think about basic training all the time. I, I feel similar, similar about that, but what do you do when you're not running a grain business? What do you do? Um, in October, November, sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I take a break on Wednesday nights and I teach faith formation class for an hour. And I don't know. That's just, um, 
I've been wanting to quit that for years. And every time I come back, because I'm too tired to do this, I'm not ready to go. And every time I come back from class, it's like, wow, that was a great discussion. Who would who would have did that if I wouldn't have told these kids that? So I keep doing it. I don't know. I think it's almost more for me than them. Um, when Tracy, our daughter, our youngest daughter, was in every sport there was, her favorite sport was whatever season it was. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of that. And now she built a house closer to work here, and I put 800 square feet on it. So I actually live with them. I call it assistant living. She doesn't know it. <laughs> but I help her with the kids now. She's going to help me with stuff I can't do later. <laughs> I don't know if she knows that part. But so far, it's that's been just great. I mean, someone says, how can you live with your kid? But we do. We do a good job of it. <laughs> it's fun. Just fun. And I think when they get to doing stuff, that's going to be our entertainment. But other than that, it's like um, these, not only is there family here, but our customers are our family too. What do you think you'd be doing if you didn't run a grain business or you've never done anything else, but if you had to, if you had to guess, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing this? I have no idea. There's a local Casey's in town. So I say, when I retire, I'm going to have to work. So I'm going to be making pizzas. No, I'm going to do this that <laughs> I like to do and keep trading bases. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I have a hard time with that question too. But I think it's fun to ask. <laughs> uh, what's something that you were afraid of? This could be at work or in your personal life. doesn't matter, but something you were pretty afraid of that, that turned out to be, uh, Okay. I don't know. I think you have decisions like that. Um, Of course, dad's been gone now, like 20 years, but he always said, make a decision. Your first decision is usually the right decision. Um, If it's wrong, learn from it and go on. I found that to be so true all the time. It's like, oh, and, and the other thing too, with basis trading is I tell the girls when I'm, when I say something out loud, like we got to look into them being bases because I just got a feeling I, and I get up and leave my desk. When I get back to my desk, say, Hey, remind me of what I said, because you just get that feeling that used to be my worst fear. When I went to white commercial meetings was you'll know when you know, Oh, just tell me. I don't know what I know. Just <laughs> tell me, what does that mean? And guess what I tell the girls now? You kind of know when you know. I mean, the river's low. This is going to happen. Um, there's going to be a rainstorm for three days and beans aren't going to come in. Or it's really going to be nice for 10 days. They're going to get swamped with beans. You've got to do something. You just know. You just have that feeling because you've spent so much time in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, off the well maybe not maybe this will be a green business question too but you're in northeast iowa what do people not know about northeast iowa that they should know northeast iowa never runs out of grain have you ever heard that before (laughs) i've heard that and i've also talked to a lady that we both know has been (laughs) very nervous that this was going to be the year that it finally happened Oh my gosh. I mean, we've not, I don't know. Producers do a good job of producing. It's just Northeast Iowa is just, um, you know, sure it can happen, but buyers think it's going to happen every year. 
Mm-hmm. But so far, and it's going to happen maybe, but so far it's been been pretty true statement so far. What is somewhere you've been that you think everyone should go to if they get a chance? Oh, that's pretty easy. A white commercial meeting. How about that? <laughs> Everybody? I don't know. There's, there's a, yeah. Like even the dentist in town should go? Um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe they should. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I know you and your husband traveled or when he was driving a truck, you got around and uh, it feels to me when I talk to you, like um, I've, I've pulled your arm, twisted your arm and got you to go to a bunch of white commercial meetings in places where you'd much rather just stay home. Is that- I don't like to travel and I don't like to come home, but when I'm there, I probably have the better time of anybody. So this is like an inside joke with my son, but I get really nervous about going. I just, I worry about this place. I worry about what's going to happen. I just worry too much because it's out of my custom. I'm not normally doing that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we get down there and I don't even know where we were. And I'll never forget. Jason says, mom, just calm down. As soon as you get with your bases buddies, everything will be fine. And I never forgot that. Okay. I have bases buddies now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> That's amazing. But he was right. It's yeah. just as soon as you get there and you see people that you know, you do, you do. I did calm down, but it's like, yeah, basis buddies. What is the thing or the few things that you're most proud of? I'm, I'm proud of Dad for making this place start, and I'm proud of all of us for um, keeping it going. I don't, I mean, I can't say it was, I can't say it was easy, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a good thing. I think proud of how everybody's kids have turned out great. You know, that can always be a problem. That's a little thing too, with us being family. It's like, um, I'd have a sister say, Marilyn, will you tell my kid this? I can't tell them that, but they'll listen to you. Okay. That works the other way too. Oh my gosh. Can you tell Jason how I feel? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that works. We do really good raising each other's kids, but that's a good thing. That's a super good thing. That's amazing. I, I think uh, we could go on telling basis stories until we both uh, ran out of breath, but probably people wouldn't listen that long. <laughs> so. <laughs> So always a pleasure. I don't remember ever talking to you and not having a blast. So look forward to keeping on doing that for a long time to come. Thanks a million for doing this with me. Well, thank you to White Commercial for everywhere we've got with you guys. And thank you for inviting me on this. I was really hesitant, but it's been fun. Thank you, Phil. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yep. Bye-bye.